The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language and goats. So many goats. It's Sunday, the 25th of February, 2018. It's around 9am and I need to tell you about Launceston because that's where I am. According to Wikipedia, uh, Launceston is a city in the north of Tasmania. I can confirm that. I saw it from the aircraft. And it's at the junction of the North Esk and South Esk rivers where they become the Tamar River. And I can confirm that as well because right now I'm sitting on a bridge over the North Esk River. Uh, the, the city was founded in 1806, uh, and then tin and then gold were discovered in the 1870s, so that kicked things off, and now it's got a population of 85,000 people. It is a serious, serious metropolis. Uh, some other facts about Launceston, it has been the home to several firsts, such as the first use of anaesthetic in the Southern Hemisphere, and you can see the legacy of that today. The first Australian city to have underground sewers, good place for them, and the first Australian city to be lit by hydroelectricity. None of these uh, things, obviously, are records outside Australia, but that does not matter. Why am I here in Launceston? Well, I'm on my way to the Launceston showgrounds for Goatfest Tasmania, an annual festival celebrating everything goat and goat-related. Quote, everything you ever need to know about goats and goat products all under the one roof, it says on the website. And... Also, according to Wikipedia, let's have a look at goats. The goat is a member of the family Bovidae and is closely related to the sheep, as both are in the goat antelope subfamily Caprinae. Goat antelopes, eh? There are over 300 distinct breeds of goats, and according to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, in 2011 there were more than 924 million live goats around the globe. Not quite all of them will be here in Launceston today, but it's going to be all goats, all the... Hang on, hang on, let's do this properly. Sunday, the 25th of February, 2018, and today it's all goats all the time, except when it isn't. I predict, through the magic of audio editing, that once I get there, there will be goat cheese. You generally expect a, um, uh, a goat's cheddar to be somewhat creamier. There will be goat politics. Goats cannot escape from anywhere near as much as a local politician or a state politician or a federal politician, for that matter. And there will be awesome goat poetry. There will be mohair. <laughs> mohair. There will be meat. Oh, and Nicholas Fry will say something tenuously connected with goats. This is the 9pm Goatfest Tasmania. Yeah, suddenly I'm not so sure about this. I've walked a bit further north and then a bit northeast. Uh, and, and Launceston itself is kind of a, a Victorian, even high Victorian city because it's it's got so many high Victorian buildings still intact. All the civic buildings are still there. But once I crossed the river and and got into this area called Invermay and, and followed the road north, that's just like your typical highway that could be out of any suburban area in Australia, really. I mean, there's muffler shops and tyre shops and petrol stations and all of that kind of stuff. And I walked up towards the the Royal Launceston Show precinct, uh, 
But I, again, it's it's pretty much like every other country show precinct. There's a, a kind of bit of an arena, and there's a whole bunch of sheds, and everything's made out of corrugated steel. Uh, and I, I'm told I should look for the horse pavilion. Uh, it's not labelled, but there is a big tin shed that looks much like the tin shed that was in the photos from Goat Fest last year. And uh, I can see a bunch of Winnebago's parked. People have come in overnight, shite load of four-wheel drives, and lots of little trailers that are goat-sized. Um, so I'm going to go in. It doesn't look particularly exciting, but, I mean, this is what you sent me here for. This is Goatfest. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. Well, things are looking more promising as I, I get closer because there is the, uh, the gold coin donation tin at uh, the door halfway along. It's so bright outside and dark inside, I won't see anything until I get in. And then, oh yes. Oh, yes, yes. This smells like goat. I'm, I'm in a large, large tin shed. It's got some skylights in it. Uh, and there's two aisles either side uh, going past pens. It's a bit like going into a trade show that you might see in a conference centre, except the floor isn't carpeted. It's, it's dirt and straw and, well, not to put... To find a point on it, goat urine and goat uh, excrement, as you would expect. This is a uh, a country farm uh, type thing, and and so to the right, there's one column. There's about half a dozen, dozen, a dozen pens there with various goats in it. Same again uh, over to sort of my two o'clock, also on my row, the big stall from the the angora slash mohair people, just around. Uh, behind me to my right there's uh, a bunch of well actually largely uh, older women um, spinning uh, some wool from the mohair Uh, and then on my left another corridor uh, going down pens either side uh, one, two, three, six, so there's more than another dozen down there there is a a kind of hand-made soap stall but it's mostly just really all the competitors um uh, with with their animals of various kinds of goats. I'll find out more about them later. I'm surprised that I can't hear any goats. Just the occasional dog, which does strike me as a bit weird. I'd expect there to be goats bleating. More goats down that way too. So, so there's about um, four dozen pens of goats. Uh, and, uh, oh, the, um, the judging in the, uh, the Angora goat... Uh, session is just about to to start. Uh, let me just get my head around that, uh, and I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Uh, but round to my hard right <laughs> is a stall uh, from the Robur Farm and the Tasmanian Food Company. I can see a variety of goat-related foodstuffs there. Uh, I think that's where I'm going to go to first. Oh, no, okay. it's Dad. Dad's yeah, trying. Okay. Well, Dad's having his, young man. What did you think of the goat milk? Good. Yeah? How's it different from cow's milk? Um, it tastes a lot better. <laughs> That's quite nice. Don't, a man of few words. 
don't, is. don't tell your uncle that. We're dairy farmers. <laughs> there you go. Would you like the cheddar? No? No, that's good. Yep, we'll have one of those. Yep. Would you like to? Oh, uh, yep, I'll give it a try. Thank you. Oh, I'll, come, I'll come back to the food stall in a minute. They've just got very busy because these kids have decided they want to buy everything that's made from goat, which is going to get their dairy farmer relatives uh, into uh, a spot of bother. Uh, but there's over there, there's a couple of blokes I wanted to catch up with, so uh, I'll go talk to them. Right, well, with me now is uh, Carl Roberts from uh, Willow Creek Miniature Goats and, and Other Crimes and uh, Steve Baldock from the Dairy Goat Society of Australia, Tasmanian branch, presumably. President. Tasmanian branch president. Yep. Oh, there you go. So it's your fault. <laughs> All of this is my fault. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, look, look, I have a number of questions I, I, I need to ask you. First of all, why a goat fest and why here? Um... It's a central location here in Launceston from uh, the southern area of the state and the northwest and the north, it's all pretty central. Um, Goatfest is all about getting the goat industry together to showcase all goats um, and it just showcases the commercial side of things and right through to the pet market with the miniature goats. So. How big's uh, the industry at the moment in Tasmania, and, I, and how fast is it growing? Because I understand the, it is growing. The largest farm here is um, Rover Farm at Sassafras. They're milking about 500 goats at the moment, uh, right down to people that have got 15 to 20 goats and making their own cheese and um, other products. Now, I, I saw you do a demo before, and you, you explained to me that a, a single dairy goat can produce quite a lot of milk, if you know what you're doing. If they're well fed and they've got the good genetics, yes. We've had goats that milk uh, 10 litres a day for a part of their lactation. The day that you saw me milking a while ago, she peaked at 7.1. So um, she milked 1,630 litres in her last lactation. That's... In 300 days. About two tonnes, up towards two tonnes. You know, certainly over a tonne and a half yeah. of milk from one goat. We, yeah. Uh, what makes a good dairy goat then? Obviously milk production. But well, it's it's genetics and good tucker. Aha. Uh-huh. And so that means plenty of good grass here in Plenty of good grass, a bit of concentrates, um, plenty of hay for the uh, butterfat content. Keep that up. Now, uh, I noticed um, you were letting kids try, as in human kids, try milking a goat for the first time. They don't, don't do it as well as the four-legged kids. But that's <laughs> no, well, well, I, I imagine not. Um, now, I grew up on a dairy farm, and I know damn well that if I, even now, many years later, decided to try and milk a cow, I'd get a hoof in the face yep. very quickly. She seemed fine with those young Yeah, uh, She's pretty used to it. We take her around a fair few displays, and she's used to being handled by other people. So, uh, yeah, she, that's why we bring her along. Now, I've been asked by... Let me just double-check who asked this question from Josh Melman. If I may ask, why is goat cheese so bloody delicious? Um, it's so bloody delicious because the milk's so delicious and it's from well-fed goats. If it's not from well-fed goats, the cheese is not quite so delicious. But, yeah, good well-fed goats with good sweet milk will make good sweet cheese as long as the cheesemaker knows what he's doing. Right, so this is coming back again to the genetics of the goat and the, the quality the of the quality feed, feed yep. quality of the cheese and maker. The, the health of the goat. And the quality of the, 
the, the, the overall quality of the, the milk to it to enable them to end up with that cheese product but on a consistency basis yeah. which is far he's been an ex-herdsman myself in the dairy and the cow industry um, it's it's far easier to get a consistency in goat milk than you would ever get in the mass-produced dairy industry now most people uh, and, and Josh has got a second part to his question here really uh, I mean uh, cow's milk and cow's cheese is of course the uh, the most popular and the most common around have cows got tickets on themselves they have to. Anybody with any sense would be milking goats instead of cows. <laughs> we well, could have swords at dawn here. Yeah? <laughs> okay, well, well, Josh, I hope that answers your question. Well, I mean, you'd you hear of all the, the um, cow farmers and dairy farmers whinging about the price of milk all the time. You never hear that from a, a dairy goat producer. I haven't heard any. Price is a lot higher. You're charging... A lot more, but then you're getting it. Well, you that's get right. what you yeah. pay for, too. You get what you pay for. That's the big difference. Well, I heard a young lad over there, maybe about nine or ten years old, trying goat's milk for the first time. He said, that's much better than cow's milk. And then his mother said, don't let your uncle so-and-so hear that, because well, they're that, all dairy. Oh, farmers. yeah, there's going right. be a war going on. Yeah. Okay, so tell me a bit about the, uh, the sociology of goats. They're meant to be grumpy. They're meant to be... Uh, a little bit of an urban myth there. Um, it tends to be, if you, if you look at the, the attitudes of your average goat, is the same as if you took a cross-section of your average human that lives in the middle of Sydney. Most of them don't want to be there. Most would rather be out in the bush, which is the same as goats. They don't really want to be here. They'd rather be out grazing. Um, but in general, if goats are well looked after and they spend a lot of time with their owners, their, their nature is very, very placid and docile. As you've seen with Steve today, milking his, you know. To put a young young kid up to start milking a goat, you, you couldn't do that in the, in the cow dairy industry. No. But the one big difference we've got there is that we hand-raise our kids from birth. So all our goats are with us from day dot, and that makes a big difference. You can't do that if you've got five or 600 cows from birth. Mm. Mm. You could if you loved them. <laughs> you would... <laughs> That's a whole lot of loving <laughs> happening, <laughs> happening right there. Which brings me to the next question. Goats are supposedly horny. Is this true? Um, they're starting to get to that time of the year, yes. Ah. Oh, de la goat. Very, oh, oh, de la goat. The, it is, uh, it's an acquired smell, which unfortunately... Do you go around sniffing them, do you? Yeah, it's on a regular basis. That's all part of good husbandry. You right. have to know if your goat smells right. Ah. Do you mean you've never done that? You've never smelled I, a goat? I, I, well, not, not, I, I, I'm lost for words. You, you have led a sheltered life. Clearly. You have led a very sheltered life, obviously. I, I, sh- you I sh- need to get out more. And sniff more goats. And sniff more goats. Okay. Uh, I can't add anything to that at all. <laughs> no, no, I, that, that, that really is a, a worry. Speaking of uh, goats and cloven hooves, which mm. relates to horns, yes. uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds have a song called Up Jump the Devil, uh, and some of the lyrics are, Who's that dancing on the jailhouse roof? Uh, who's that dancing on the jailhouse roof? A stamping on the roof with a cloven hoof. Who's that dancing on the jailhouse roof? Up the devil and said, Here's your man. Up jumped the devil and said, here is your man, and I got proof. So, can goats dance on a jailhouse roof? There is a simple answer to that. Yes. It is a cow dairy farmer wearing a goat suit. Oh. 
Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds knew all about the dairy industry and yes. they knew that every cow dairy person is envious of somebody who milks goats. So this is actually anti-goat propaganda. Anti-goat propaganda. I shall have to bring it up with Nick next time I see him. Oh, okay. The next... Ah, I forgot that you know Mr. K. <laughs> Uh, part two of that previous question was, if a goat can sort of dance on a roof, what is the maximum angle of incline of the roof that makes this possible? Oh, if people ever get the inclination to go and surf around YouTube or... The inclination! Pinching, the inclination. <laughs> Did you like that one? I that like was that just one. thrown in there. Um, goats can almost climb on a vertical slope. Um, one of the reasons that we... Uh, if, if people look back, one of the reasons that goats worldwide have been so successful as a, as a genus is their ability to go places where hunters cannot go and also they are here's your useless fact for the day goats are one of the few animals whose irises actually go horizontal not vertical which means basically if you try and sneak up on a goat it can see you tickling its tail therefore predators find it very difficult to sneak up on goats they're very alert animals, but their main their main uh, escapism is the fact that they can climb up trees, vertical rock faces, and and do it with a smile. We'll come back to smiling goats in a minute, Steve. You've spoken there about dairy goats. We need to ask about uh, some of the others. Uh, meat production. Uh, one of my anonymous uh, benefactors says, "Well, which which breeds of goats are the ones who use for meat production?" Very different from dairy, obviously. They can all be used for meat production, but the best one of the lot is the boar goat, that's specifically bred for the purpose. Aha, uh -huh. from South Africa, that sounds that's like. It. Yes, um, they're wholly and solely designed for meat. They're the um, Angus or Herefords of the goat world, and um, yeah, they're, they're the ones to pick. But um, we do process some of our weathers um, and put them in the freezer, and they're quite good. They're still. Uh, milk-fed kid, which is um, good tucker. Excellent. And uh, how how big are they grow? I've, I've seen some of the goats here that are obviously the uh, for meat production, and they're uh, not small. No, no, they're well in excess of 100 kilos, and the, wow. the bucks can get up around 130, 140. So yeah, That's they're big animals. Even bigger than me. Uh, yeah. I'm not getting into this weight business at all. But yes. <laughs> but yes. Uh, but yes. Nice clothes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, uh, look, there are so many questions here that start getting into uh, politics. Ben O'Rice would like to know which would be easier to manage, a herd of goats or the federal parliament? Well, the federal parliament would be like herd and cats, wouldn't it? I mean, you, yeah. you just, it's just it's a, a non-starter, really. <laughs> He hasn't thought about that question much at all, really. No, no, mate, you, you, that's it. You've burnt your money in this story. Uh, so, therefore, uh, the Nationals do need a new goat to lead them. Uh, which breed of goat would be best? Asks, uh, oh, that's an anonymous person. Uh, to lead the Nationals. Well, or any party, for that given, matter. Given that the goats are starting to come in season now, you'd be, um, oh. you know, yeah, they'd have to be, well, a, a Kalahari Red, perhaps, which is like a red boar goat. Could replace Barnaby Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> could even wear the hat. He could, yeah. <laughs> okay, and while we're on the subject of uh, replacements, is, is scapegoat a fair term? And should we come up with something else? Why is, why is the goat blame? Uh, well, well, it could... 
again, another urban myth that goats can escape from most places. Um, they probably can't escape as quick as a politician who's broken a couple of rules. So I think we re- re- really need to rename it as Escape Polly. Oh. Because that, that is, is far more relevant in this day and age now. Well, that, that uh, question was from uh, DK. Actually, he, he actually really did ask what, what, what creature should we have as the blame creature? The creature of the politician. They ah. are a creature. The escape politician. The escape politician. The escape poly. Excellent. Uh, who? Oh, that question about Nick Cave was by Nick Fong. I need to say that. Uh, Johan de Witt asks, um, do goats like music? And if so, what genre? Oh, they get into a bit of punk, are miniatures. They like a bit of headbanging punk. Especially, especially the boys. You're making this up. No, especially the boys. Rotten season. When they start smelling right, they're in just like a bunch of punks in the middle of the field, all giving it the bashing. So to speak. Well, so to speak. We're pretty boring at our place. We have commercial commercial radio going in the dairy for more, and that's about as good as we get. Mate, and they nip out to buy a new Toyota or a well, <laughs> half-time? Or some... They, I mean, they're not going to need um, gentlemen's assistance pills by the sound of it. Not these uh, goats. No, I wouldn't have thought so, no. That's pretty good. Old, no. <laughs> well, I think um, we, we should probably uh, end this conversation on a... Uh, a question from uh, on a question from Stuart Young. What's the craziest question about goats you've ever been asked? Why do we have them? Why you have goats? Why we have goats? That's the craziest question I'm ever. Asked. I think people think, why do you bother with them? That's I mean, right. That, that's the, that's the thing, you know. I've spoken to a few people here already, and they've gotten into goat herding by accident. A lot of people do. Get one, and now they've got fifty. Yeah. yeah, that happens rather quickly. They fall in love, not, not in love with the goats. That that would be wrong, but in love with the idea of having goats. That's right. Mm. We're a prime example. Five five and a half years ago, we had three females and one boy. We now have forty breeding females and seven of our lovely smelly bucks over at uh, Willow Creek Miniature Goats. Over at Willow Creek Miniature Goats. Excellent, gentlemen. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Not a Pleasure problem still. in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the 9pm Goatfest Tasmania, uh, which I am sending to you right now live from Launceston. That's the first of several segments that were recorded and edited earlier in the day. But something I couldn't do earlier in the day, but I will do now, is read you some goat poetry. There was a poetry competition uh, at Goatfest Tasmania, and uh, there were a total of nine entries. I'll save the uh, first, second and third place getters for later. But we'll kick off uh, with a poem by Belinda D'Souza called Offspring. We have a goat named Nina and we didn't even have to wean her, but our Billy went rogue in the bush up the road. So no offspring for us on TV or Nina's up the duff. Guess we'll go to the goat fest because Nina alone is not the best. Hope my poem wins the prize, then another goat or two can materialise. I'll end this here before I take years. I really wouldn't want to bore you to tears. It's from Belinda D'Souza, uh, who didn't win. 
There you go. Uh, this next one uh, is by... Ooh, I'm having trouble reading that. Is that Dank Hunterup? I did not write this list, so I'm not sure about that. I will check those words later. Nothing you could say could tear me away from my goat. My goat. Nothing you could do because I'm stuck like glue to my goat. My goat. I'm sticking to my goat like the wool from a sweater, like goats eating heather will stick together. I'm telling you from the throat I'm totes having tokes with my goat. And the third one in uh, this little uh, batch uh, is by Marie Donaldson, is that? I think so. Marie Donaldson, the Belliode Goats. There was a young goat called Bell. Bell had a mum named Nell. Bell found a toad named Yode. Bell and Yode crossed the road. Bell and Yode found some goats across the road. Bell yelled to the goats, Come meet my friend Yode. Yode cast a spell on the goats, and they were all fell in the well. Bell kissed Yode the toad, and he towed off all the goats, goats, goats out of the deep, dark well. There'll be some more. Goat poems later, and I, I actually had an introduction for each one. As you know on this podcast, uh, I I have a the the standard uh, macOS voice synthesis to do the announcement, and I I had trouble uh, getting her in her Australian accent to say goat poem because it sounded like this goat poem poem. Goat poem, and I, I didn't think that was nice. So when I spelt it poem, p o m e, it sounded like this. Goat poem. So which do you prefer? Goat poem or goat poem? It's a difficult choice, isn't it? Uh, let me know on the twitters. The hashtag is nine pm goat fest nine as a nine, and uh, I'll come back with some more goat poetry shortly. <laughs> I mentioned before that the uh, the judging for the uh, Angora goats uh, was going on in the background. Uh, I'm just going to nip over there and catch one of the, well, in fact, the judge, because uh, they've just finished up with one of the categories. I'm Judy Ferreira from AZ Superior Genetics, New South Wales, Australia. So when you're judging a goat, mm. and in this case uh, an angora, what are you looking for? Now, First of all, the angora goat is all about the fibre. The fibre is the uh, priority in uh, what we're looking for judging. Then the fibre have to be first of all very pure, uh, very uh, free of any medulated fibres or black fibres. Uh, the rest is it have to be a very even fleece from the neck, the side and the breech at the back. So that means you want an even fibre that you can uh, put in, in, in a washing lot together, not strong neck, not strong breech and stuff. Then uh, the next thing after the fibre, you'll be looking into the conformation of the animal. At least it has to be an animal that can carry itself very well and can look after itself and can have a commercial value. Uh, so, so, so we're looking at the, the winner here in this category is for the... Uh, uh, a senior buck. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, so what does his stance tell you? Yeah. First of all, uh, it's a very pure animal. Uh, that's a very huge positive um, 
for Tasmania at this stage, uh, the quality of that pureness to build from a nucleus. Then it's a fine, even animal. That means from the uh, neck, the side, and to the bridge, it's very even in the flea straights. Uh, and it also is very soft in handle and a very good luster. So that's uh, the important trait. You're coming from a genetic background here. It's about building the the whole stock, the whole industry, not just about the individual animal then? No, you, you're absolutely correct. You see, the big th- challenge uh, we face, in, especially in Australia and Tasmania, is uh, uh, the traditional goat was mainly a goat that was producing only a knitting type of mower. And we'd introduced a weaving type of mower into uh, Australia, and that show you because between knitting and weaving there's huge price differences. But with the price differences, there's also quality uh, traits that go with it. So if you look into a fine kit, for instance, on a knitting uh, site, can only achieve, say, maybe um, a twenty-three-dollar uh, price. But if it's a weaving kit with the purity and all the traits, it can go to $58 a kilo, the fiber. So it shows you it double up nearly and more. Uh, so that's why the traits in the goat from a knitting to a weaving is, is, is very um, uh, prominent, but it's also very rewarding. Thanks, GT. Okay, my pleasure. Sir, your, your goat is the winning goat in this category. Well, actually, I'm just holding it for You're him. You're just holding it for him. Yeah. Now, I was going to ask you all of the secrets about this goat. That That's this man's goat. I'm Colin Sylvester, and his name is Victor. That's a good name for a goat. Mm. Uh, so, what's his story? Well, I'll let you talk to Mary, because she is, probably knows the story better than what I do. Okay, so, um, what year was he born? That's a good question. Um, 2013, yeah. Um, and, yeah, he's, we chose him because he had lovely fleece um, when he was a kid. And, yeah, he's, uh, he's going over some girls this year, and he went over some girls last year as well. So hopefully we'll have really nice offspring. Well, we do have some nice offspring, well, but we'll have some more nice offspring I'm, I'm from him. The breeding's obviously an important part of the industry, not just the fleece too. Absolutely. You have to choose goats that have a good constitution um, and have good health and... Um, good mohair, most importantly. <laughs> that would help. Yes. <laughs> Why did you, how did you get into this industry? Very accidentally, actually. Um, I'm hearing that a lot. <laughs> we um, just had a lot of blackberries, and the first goat that was still there in the paper when I actually rang up and didn't cost the earth just happened to have mohair on him. So we bought him, and um, he got a bit lonely, so we got him some girls, and it all went from there. Beautiful work. <laughs> Congratulations on today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, my wife says that from time to time, so yeah, absolutely. So, but yeah. uh, okay, that's going to go down well. So, yep. you would be, according to your business card, Jason Beecroft, I and am. you are. I'm the state business manager for uh, for Taz Foods across the state. And you're not just cheese, are you? This is just uh, cheese today because it's at Goat Fest. At Goat Fest, yeah. So we uh, predominantly uh, at Goat Fest have got all our goats products on uh, on display and showcase to the uh, to the public. But uh, 80% of our business is is actually with Nichols Poultry, uh, located down at Sassafras in Chapel Road. Um, but we also have a, uh, another great uh, selection into our portfolio. We have Shima Wasabi, which is the largest uh, producer harvester of wasabi in the Southern Hemisphere, which is located at Port Surreal. We have Meander Valley Dairy, which is a lot of the cow, uh, cow products with award-winning uh, double, double cream and uh, creme fraiche, along with cultured butters. Uh, we also uh, go into Pine Garner Dairy, which is our latest acquisition out in the, uh, 
in the sunny uh, sunny fields of the far north-east of, uh, of Tasmania. So uh, a lot of cloth-bound mature cheddars and also pine garner real milk. Now, there's a, a wider range of cheeses uh, here today than I was familiar with. I was familiar with the, the, the feta yes. uh, that you make and... Uh, the cheddar, yes. is that the cheddar, yes? Yes, so the cheddar is uh, what we call a Chapel Road Capretta. So the best way to, to, to speak in, uh, I suppose, layman terms to someone who's not familiar with, with goat's products, it's a, it's a semi-hard goat's cheddar. And so generally speaking, when you, when you have someone who comes to you who hasn't, uh, hasn't uh, experienced goat's products before, we, we, we point them into the, uh, the, the Capretta range because it's a, uh, it's a pretty good entry level uh, because a lot of people know what a cheddar is and they, they have it in their mind. Um, they, they, they like it, and you know it's it's easy to uh, to palate straight away. Now, if I have a quick uh, stab at one of these, sure. Uh, now I, oh, I got two bits there. That's all right. Um, I'm I know my cheddar. Mm-hmm. I'm my cheese around. That I'm noticing is creamier than I normally expect a cheddar yeah, to be. You, you, you generally expect a, um, uh, a goat's cheddar to be somewhat creamier. Um, there may be a little bit more acidity on the back mm. of the, uh, the, the tongue, mm. but it also it doesn't have the, the, the salt hit and the hardness of what a, what a cheddar does. They, they're generally only about six months matured. Um, so the beauty of what we do is we rely on our bare basics to, to make sure that our, our product's to the best standard. So uh, where, we, um, where we, uh, we harvest our milk, we harvest in the morning and process in the afternoon, so it doesn't allow any... That's pretty fast, too. Yeah. It, I it mean, I, I grew up on a dairy farm, and uh, all right, it's a different scale when you're dealing with cow's milk, but folks listening to this at home might not realise that it's sitting around in a tank at the dairy for three days, usually, before it goes into a tanker. Yeah, exactly right, and, and that... That's really what separates us from from our competition. Is we uh, speed to market with getting the uh, the product from uh, from the goat into a uh, into a pack. Um, we also uh, keep the bucks away from the does. We feed the uh, the goats a constant feed of clover throughout the year. Clover. Clover. Um, so I've, I'm originally from South Australia, and clover there in a dry state is an incredible luxury. Yeah, exactly. And you know that's why we're fortunate down the uh, in in Tasmania. We've got access to this great pasture. Um, and it allows uh, the product to have a consistent base. So where we have a great base being the milk, we, uh, we can execute a fantastic product within the end product being cheese. Now, the, the feta I noticed before, I, I did have a quick sample before, and uh, this again, it's, it's, it's creamier and not as sort of saltier base yeah. as, as uh, well, your cow's milk feta. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, look, the the the, the fit is uh, a lot creamier. It's a lot smoother on the on the on the tongue, um, and it, it works beautifully with, with salads. And you know, it's getting more and more popular with uh, well, I suppose the exposure we get into uh, to corporate grocery and, and food service across the state. So, and and I will try. I won't go through everything here because you've, I notice you've got a couple of other potential right. customers no, rolling right. up. Uh, but uh, the the wasabi. Um, Chevre, which of course is in a goat's cheese. We got one open there. Yes, over uh, here. We have got the wasabi chef. Yeah. Now, I, I again, I had a bit of a sneak of this before. Actually, I might get you to uh, right. ladle that out okay. while I've got a recorder in my hand. Sure. You were saying the wasabi is local too. What? The, I mean, it's a horseradish, isn't it? It's. Uh, it, it, it's it's related to horseradish. So this is unfortunately a bit of the misconception we've got to, um, I suppose, educate the public on. So. Um, I, I suppose horseradish, in a way, is the ugly stepsister of the wasabi family. So, a lot of people when they, they <laughs> okay. yeah, they, a lot of people when they go to the supermarket, they, they they buy a tube of wasabi, they take it home, it, it rips their face to pieces, and they have wasabi. Well, wasabi's not that. That's predominantly horseradish. Horseradish right. is, is quite a, 
uh, quite a pungent, strong flavour, um, and it sort of dies down straight away. Wasabi is, a, uh, as I said, a cousin of the horseradish family, but it's got a, a nice aromatic flavour. It's ongoing. It's almost sweet in a way. Mm. Um, I'm mean, smelling it there. I'm talking while eating, but it's really nice. Um, it's not as sharp. No. And no. this is because, as, as, I, as you implied there, a lot of the stuff sold as wasabi actually isn't. Exactly right. Exactly. I mean, it's uh, it's it's brilliant marketing and packaging on the on the on the uh, competitors' behalf that uh, that name it as wasabi, and that's just where we've got to educate the the public. The amount of conversation I have around, I don't like wasabi. I, I've I've gone and got one of those green tubes, and I won't ever try it again. Yeah. Um, a couple of minutes of my uh, persuasive and very robust discussions with them, I convince them to try it, and they go, "Well, look, it's fantastic." So. So what got you into the, uh, I mean, all right, you're on the, the, the sales and marketing side here, but what you, what got you into the uh, the goatee business here? I, I, I'm a chef by trade, so I, I, when somebody asked me the question, I went from being a grumpy chef dealing with reps to being a rep dealing with grumpy chefs, so um, I went from the other side of the fence. Um, and so, look, uh, I've got a pretty strong passion with food, and, and fortunately I've landed in a, in a position where I've, all of our brands are the premium end of the market, so uh, I'm not in uh, competing with uh, with mainstream products, which is great. Fantastic way, uh, fantastic place to be there, Jason Beecroft. Thanks for your time, mate. Thank you very much. Oh, look, I've got to try one of the goat sausages. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Not too sure whether they're not quite ready. Not quite ready. Okay, I'll pop away and do something else then. Thanks. Well, while I'm waiting for uh, the goat sausages to uh, be cooked there, goat, goat sausages, goat sausages, a quick thank you to uh, all of you who've made uh, the 9pm Goat Fest Tasmania possible because this is, as you know, a listener-supported podcast. So thank you for setting goatee challenges Peter Lawler, Rezor Snark, and Paul McElwee, with a little assistance from Paul Kidd. Uh, ask a goat questions from Stuart, Stuart Young, Peter Lawler, Point Zero One, Christopher Neugebauer, John O'Ferguson, Frank Filipponi, Josh Melman, Ben O'Rice, Mick Fong, DK, Christopher Neal, Johan De Witt, and four who choose to remain anonymous. Slightly less basic tips, because there were some basic tips, which we'll mention in a minute, but slightly less basic tips from Simon Harris, David Heath, Nick Andrew, Andrew Groom, Paul Williams, Katrina Setsi, Paul Kidd, Daniel O'Connor, Nicholas Fryer, Rick Heyman, Kathy Reed, Twiddlekins, Norman Marr, Sean Minnie, Silmobile, Tim Bell, Andrew Kennedy, Andrew Groom, Melissa Madsen, Kay Carruthers, Adam Fitzpatrick, Chris Gentle, Bob Ogden, and seven people who chose to remain anonymous, plus the people who gave a basic tip, plus... Uh, uh, three anonymous other people who didn't want any reward at all. Thank you all. If you'd like to contribute to the continuing continuation of this very fine podcast from wherever it may happen to be coming from, then please go to stillgarian.com slash tip and empty your wallets, goat up or up any other animal should you wish for that and also for today i'd like to thank carl and jan roberts from willow creek miniature goats uh, and all the friendly goat people who've been speaking with me it is truly a lovely day now let's see how those sausages are going hello are the goat sausages ready yet okay just one uh for the moment thank you Got to give it a full taste test first. Can you first? do another goat, please? Yes. Just one goat, yep. yep. 
I just wander over to a, a quieter location so that I can enjoy uh, my goat sausage uh, a little more privately. A man needs to uh, be alone with his goat sausage. Particularly sitting out here in the sun at uh, the Launceston Showgrounds. Uh, I'll sit down here. Well, let's sit that microphone there. Now, what we have is your uh, traditional sausage sizzle sausage. It has come, of course, on uh, a slice of sliced white bread, the cheapest bread you can get. Uh, the sausage has been cooked. The, uh, the uh, onions have been fried and added. I've added a bit of tomato sauce. Uh, some people, of course, add uh, uh, barbecue sauce to this. Um, and I'm about to munch into it. Mm. Oh, now, that goat sausage, it's very strongly flavoured meat. It's been spiced a little bit. It's kind of like the best beef sausages, but even more so. It's a real hint of gaminess about it. Um, I will be looking out for goat sausages in the future. Um, in a minute. Uh, but right now... Uh, some goatiness of a different kind, kinda, is uh, Nicholas Fryer with a look through the arch window. Mm. For fans of nausea and cringing like myself, there are so many things to love about the Joyce affair that it's hard to pick a favourite twinge. The sight of the Prime Minister explaining to a cheerful nation that his deputy was an ethically doubtful, error-prone national embarrassment but that he had no power to sack him, will certainly live long in our hearts. As will Matt Canavan's confirmation that the short list for interviews for Barnyard's girlfriend's taxpayer-funded sinecure was really quite short indeed, about five ten in heels, less in her stockinged feet. And who could not feel confident in our democracy at watching the public calculations of a party of government taking a fortnight to decide whether they dared ditch a sexually incontinent know-nothing for fear of encouraging insurgent rural racists. If asked to choose my personal heroes in this story, however, it would certainly be our ever-ready news media, who very ethically explained that they hadn't reported what everyone in Canberra, Tamworth, Armadale, Cabinet, Parliament, Joyce's extended family, the intelligence services of a number of foreign countries, the internet and at least one of my chickens had known for several months because they couldn't confirm the rumours that Barnaby's daughter had driven up and down the main street of Tamworth in his campaign ute, shouting about it through a loud hailer. Until the staffer in question was seven months pregnant. Now, I know they're not doctors, but I had been given to believe that some of them were at least women, or men who'd ever seen a woman without her shirt on before. News outlets, like people, come in two broad flavours, the self-reflective and the oblivious. Like people, the oblivious ones tend to be successful, at least on their own terms, and appalling assholes. The self-reflective, meanwhile, are dreadfully eager and maddening, particularly when they fail, which is usually. 
To spruikers of either persuasion, a story like Joyce is a blessing from heaven, to be leapt upon like a bonobo in heat on an oyster bender. The Murdoch Press can run big, colour, front pages of the buffoon du jour calculating the angles on a bit of upskirt work. Journalists who have a degree, meanwhile, and who therefore rather touchingly imagine that they're university educated, can write long think pieces about the role of the fourth estate, to an audience who don't know what estate means, or what happened to the other three. But best of all, it goes on for weeks and weeks. Which is key, because the main difficulty for most in-house journalists is that they're required to generate Sydney Harbour-clogging quantities of copy on subjects they mostly don't understand, for the benefit of an audience who'd rather watch cat videos than masturbate, sometimes simultaneously. Political journalists have it particularly tough, because their job involves analysing the doings of people whose careers depend upon their ability to be plausible liars. But all journalists face this dilemma. In the long, fallow periods between episodes of spectacularly corrupt self-ownership by public figures, or people they can turn into public figures, they largely spend their time generating absolute nonsense. Columns that only accidentally lapse into English and make no sense to anyone without a diagnosed cognitive impairment. To be fair, they always label these works of art with coded headings that clearly indicate to the initiated that the following 700 words or so are zero-information-content-blank verse. In the left-wing press, when you see a headline such as Is Your Cat a Men's Rights Activist? you can be pretty sure that your time will be better spent doing almost anything other than reading it unless you're inclined to believe that the answer to that question is a plausible yes, in which case it's probably best if you don't do anything at all, ever. Just stick to breathing and signal when you need your nappy changed. The Australian marks such random word generator articles with the words by Greg Sheridan. Other mastheads use different clues. The Daily Telegraph, for example, indicates that everything that follows is a brain-destroying word custard by printing it under the words the Daily Telegraph. There are times, though, when even pulling Scrabble tiles out of a foam-flecked pint glass and printing the result won't cut the mustard, and it's time to get out the industrial-strength barrel scraper. When that happens, the final fallback of the unembarrassable bullshit merchant is ten minutes on the subject of I gave up, insert popular thing here, for insert arbitrary deprivation period here, and this is what I learned. Which always turns out to be nothing, because if these people were capable of learning anything, they'd have done a different degree. Or simply committed suicide out of shame years ago. All of the above is as much as to say that having decided this week not to bang on about Bananarama, I couldn't think of anything else to write about. So I gave up Twitter for 48 hours, and this is what I learned. Nothing because I'm nearly 50, and endured decades of adulthood before the advent of social media, and I'm not a fucking moron. The news was still dreadful, people were still awful, even in real life, and journalism is still both the last hope we have of saving democracy, and manifestly not up to the task. And in a capitalist democracy, that's all your fault. And mine, of course. Enjoy the cat videos. Wash your hands afterwards. Still with us? Still enjoying 
the 9pm Goatfest Tasmania. I'm going to assume you are. I'm going to assume you are still listening. And I'm going to assume you will want to find out when the next podcast is and who will be on it. Because it's only two days away, as I'm telling you this now on Sunday the 25th of February because the next podcast is on Tuesday night the 27th of February again streamed at 9pm-ish because that's kind of the deal live from Hobart no audience this time but we didn't have time to organise that you know about that but Instead of it being a public house forum, therefore, in a pub, it's going to be a private house forum. That is, a forum, but just in some establishment and and private. It'll just be us on the panel. And joining me on the panel, it's... It's very STEM, as they say, very sciencey and engineering, uh... Who will be on the panel, you ask? It will be Dr Andrew Cole, an astronomer from the University of Tasmania, who also bills himself as an ultimate Frisbee player, a freelance philosopher and beer critic. That sounds like the kind of person we want to hear from. Also, Dr Leah Landowski, who's a neuroscientist, uh, a science communicator and the Tasmanian Premier's Young Achiever of the Year 2015. She's on Twitter at Rock at Scientist. Uh, Dr Andrew Cole is, uh, his Twitter handle is aacole 42 I can see what he's done there. So those two will be on the panel. And last but my, by no means least, the lovely Corinne, who is on Twitter as lovely Corinne, who we're billing for this occasion as engineer and escort and all-around smart person. That is going to be a wonderful panel on the 9pm Edicts Private House Forum number one, live from Hobart this coming Tuesday, the 27th of February. You will definitely want to listen in for that. Goat poem. Goat poem. We're working through the goat... Poetry entries at uh, Goatfest. What am I doing here? This is number four. This is by Susan Davey. One day I bought a milking goat. She made the trip home in a horse float. She had big brown eyes the size of meat pies and gave lots of milk which was a surprise. I made many batches of yummy cheese to the palate it really did please. She was put to my buck, who was running amok and had many doe kids, which was a stroke of good luck. Due to old age, she has now been pensioned off to eat, to sleep, to watch over the flock. Thank you, old girl, for being such a good friend. Our love and bond will last till the very end. Goat poem. Next goat poem is by Anna Shepherd. We will hear more about her shortly. This is a poem from the Milking Parlour. Ears that flop, eyes that shine, minds are their own, but their hearts 
are mine. Lots of joy and sometimes pain. Each day's different, no two the same. Milting and feeding, don't forget, don't be late or you'll regret it. How I start the day, uh, start and end each day, I wouldn't choose a different way. Goat poem. And this is my favourite goat poem. It's actually a haiku. I thought this would rank more highly with the judges, but maybe they didn't realise it was a haiku. Early at sunrise, a little wet kid bleating because of the glare. That's by Cindy Fagg. I think that's excellent. There will be more goat poetry soonish. Okay, well, it's reached that point in the podcast where I'm standing in a, a pen uh, with four goats uh, and a lot of straw on the floor, which smells very goaty, and, and with Carl Roberts again, which is... Which is a huge bonus. We're still are... here this late in the day. We're yes, doing well. We are doing magnificently well. Now, before we get on to uh, the reason for us standing in this pen, perhaps you could introduce these four goats uh, right to left. So on the right, we have Arwen. Now, Arwen is a very good Welsh name. Now and again, I get to, to name my goats after my homeland. And next to her is Laurel. Laurel's her daughter. They look very, very similar, don't they? The same light tan fur, very fine fur too. Yeah, and chewing away their cud, they're pretty stoked goats at the moment. Stoked goats. Stoked goats. These are, of course, miniature goats from your happy Willow Creek Mini Goats That's right. establishment. Yeah. Uh, miniature goats primarily for pets? Yes, yes. 22 years in the making. Um, initially, they were bred uh, up in Queensland. For the pet market and oh, for the small Oh, these are an Australian thing. All pure Australian miniature goats, only to be found in Australia. They're well, unique. Isn't, isn't Australia wonderful? Ah, oh, it just gets better by the day. Yeah. Better by the day. So as a process of breeding, we got the size down, but keeping them as a very docile breed, hence the stoat goats. Right. Um, and also a very low-maintenance goat. So their genetics are very much that they're... They're not hard to keep. Oil change less frequently. Change. You don't have to reboot them now and again. Mm. You know, every now and again you change their RAM. So, oh, you know, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's getting worse for the IT industry. Uh, yeah. Moving on swiftly, in the middle we have Annie. Now, Annie is uh, an odd scattered brown and tan and white colour and has a bit of longish hair towards the rear of her yes. body. They are the pantaloons, better known in... Cashmere goats. Ah! So hence the different breeds that come through. It is really a mixing pot of every goat that you can think of. So we get genetic throwbacks with Annie, mm -hmm. so thereby we have the long pantaloons with the cashmere. But that's only the real, whereas a cashmere goat would have that all over. Yes, mm. yes. So it's a genetic throwback. We don't shear our goats. They self-shed. Um, but it's, it really shows the dynamics and the diversity in, in the Australian miniatures. Now, before we go any further, we, we did say chilled goats here. Yes. When I arrived, I expected to hear goats, yes. like goat fest. There are a hundred goats in the room or more. Could nary hear one. Contented goats are quiet goats. The only time you'll ever hear goats creating is if they're unsettled or they feel frightened or threatened. We have 100 chilled out goats here today at Goat Fest. Right. I, I did find out earlier, and I mentioned this at the start of the podcast, that uh, Launceston was the first place in, the, in, in Australia where anaesthetic was used. 
Well, there's a new one by me. Yes. Maybe there's been in the air in the goat <laughs> fest. That's right. Full of useless information. It's fantastic. But <laughs> on the left that, is our uh, star of the day. Da, 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 da. This is Talissa. Willow, the full title is Willow Creek Talissa. Better known to her friends by her Twitter handle of Talissa Dikissa. Ah, well... Political I, I, extraordinaire. Yes, and that brings us to the uh, political part of the podcast, or the, the most political part of the podcast, as he says, scrolling through his <laughs> notes to find the thing which was meant to be at the top and it ended up at the bottom, which was the, the thing that said, the bit we still need to record. Okay. There we go. We've we got go. there. Well we done. Go. Now, this is a big thank you to... Uh, Roselsnark, who, who said as part of his challenge to find a goat to lead the National Party. Also, John O'Ferguson, who said, ask a goat whether they're free to take over the leadership of the National Party. So I think I'm going to put this, this question to Talissa yes. right now, and then we have part two. So, Talissa, would you like to lead the Nationals? She's sniffing the microphone. She's just looking at it. A quizzical raise of the ear... Turning away. She's a bit too chill, mate. I think that's a pretty positive no. Okay. Well, now we get to the real part. This, come on, perk up, girl. I'm just giving her a bit of a scratch behind the back of the head, which is good for most mammals. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, Talissa has a, an important job now. Oh, yes, she's perked up. Uh, Carl has... Tell us what you've got in your hands here. Okay, so we have the politically correct analysis of who will win the upcoming state election and it's been carried out by Talissa who on the official platform is completely non-biased to either party Mm -hmm. or aligned to any party. I just realised this is going to be a straw poll. Oh well done and it's been taken by Jelly Babies. Excellent. So what we have here is to make it nice and fair is we have a blue Jelly Baby re- representing the state Liberal Party. Uh, which is uh, Mr. Will Hodgman, I gather. Which, which, Will Hodgman. And then we have a red Jelly Baby representing the state Labour Party. Which is Ms. Rebecca White, Correct. according to information received earlier. We asked for other representatives from other major parties, but there were no further Jelly Beans came forward. Ah, uh, what a sad thing. Now, with thank you to... Uh, Paul McElwee for financing this goatee challenge. He put up good money for that. And Paul Kidd, who made the suggestion, he has goats of his own uh, in Victoria, rural Victoria, where he lives. I forget where, near uh, Bendigo somewhere, right, Ballarat right, somewhere, right. down it's that on way. That mainland piece, yes. Uh, so he suggested we do the election uh, prediction a la, was it uh, Paul the Octopus? Yes, very similar. On the World Cup? Yes, if he change, changes colour. So, uh, Carl, if you would like to uh, shuffle those jelly babies in your hands... Uh, Talissa's not even paying any attention at this stage. Oh, so there's no need to close her eyes. She's playing her part. Oh, she did that. So we're reaching down with the hands, hands very close. She's going, is she going to the right? Left hand, left. Oh, no, she doesn't know which can it take. And she's going for which one first? She's not sure. She's having a sniff. She's sniffing. She's licking. Low, and it's oh, the incumbent, for incumbent government wins again. But she was. Not she was sure hedging her bets. She was hedging her bets. That's going to be a close election. Should then. we see if we have a hung parliament? Oh yes. Let's see if she's interested let's in. Let's see in if Labor there's a hung parliament. The red jelly baby. 
Oh, oh official. Official, yes. It's She's official. It is not going to be a, um, a majority government. We're going to have a hung parliament. Fantastic. Thank you, Carl Tank. Thank you, Talisa the Kisser. Uh, and I think that brings an end to our little political segment here on the pot. Stop licking the microphone. Wait. She's going to eat that, isn't yes. she? Yes, she will. <laughs> Goat poem. We're up to the finalists in the Goatfest Tasmania Goat Poetry Competition. And uh, third place goes to Anna Shepherd. You heard from her before with one of her poems. She put a second one in. Uh, and this is, I should say, translated by Anna Shepherd because it's written by Mr. T. And this is a, a more of a story because Mr. T, I encountered him earlier. He is a massive, massive goat. I've already tweeted a photograph of him. I'll probably tweet a photograph again. And this is Mr. T's story. Uh, so I'm Anna Shepherd. Anna Shepherd. This is my husband, Tim Hello. Yep. And this is Mr. T. He's also a bit keen to run away, isn't he? Uh, can I just say that this goat, Mr. T, would weigh about probably more than me, and he's certainly tougher. Is that what makes him a winner? It'd be just no, a big goat. He's, he's just a big, big boy. Weather, so he's just grown. <laughs> oh, yes. he'd weigh about 130 kilo. Yeah, that's uh, that's a solid amount of goat. Now. He's, he's the winner in his category. No, no, weather? He's, no. He's the wonder weather. The wonder weather. Yes. Tell me about the wonder weather. That's just him. That's your he's, name for yes, him, isn't it? He's just a, a, a minor Facebook celebrity, you put it that way. Oh, okay. So he just, what makes a goat a Facebook celebrity? He's big. Well, and, he is big. He is and big. loves people, comes to all these displays, gets cuddles and takes it all all day. Excellent. Thank you very much. Not a problem. So that's Mr. T, the wonder weather. Um, I don't do Facebook, so you'll have to uh, look him up for yourself. But this is Mr. T's poem, as translated by Anna Shepherd. It's called Summer Flies. I cannot squash a snail. I sympathise with slugs. Spiders do not scare me. I'm not bothered by bugs. Of all the creepy crawlies, there's only one that I despise through summer in particular. I hate flies. I really quite like that. So that was the third place getter. Goat poem. In second place, A Goat's Tail uh, by... Uh, by Stephen Baldock. Ah, you heard from Stephen Baldock earlier. This is all very incestuous, this competition, isn't it? The heat of summer fades and the leaves turn autumn brown. What's that smell in the air as the visitors frown? Bucks, lip curl, don't stand near or you'll get sprayed with the underneath gear. Does wag their tails and the bleating goes on. Which one of you boys do I have to take on? Through five cold months, if the job is done, will it be a daughter or a son? The move into spring sees bellies sprung and udders get as tight as a drum. Difficult to move as the time gets nearer. On the day in question, things become clearer. The spot is picked in the back of the shed. A complicated birth is what we all dread. The pushing and yelling starts so that awful sound and a future champion hits the ground. 
as the kids grow, it's off to the show with siblings and mothers in tow. Week in, week out, they get carted about. Some win a ribbon and some will miss out. At the end of the year, it's time for a spell and then they might go to Goatfest, all being well. The heat of summer fades and the leaves turn autumn brown. Goat poem. And the winner of the Goatfest Tasmania 2018 Goat Poetry Competition is by... Kate Bennett, it's called Just Kidding, and here it is. The soft, hot, dewy breath upon my skin, the butterfly kisses of eyelashes against my cheek, the familiar smell of hay, grass and milky sweetness, the gentle murmurings of contentment and comfort. I am just a little kid. I frolic unrestrained and haphazardly with happiness. I explore, taste, twitch and discover. Despite my uncertain start to life, I am bold, brave, tenacious and confident. I am just a little kid. That's called Just Kidding by Kate Bennett. And she says that that's her first impressions upon meeting Jarrah at Willow Creek Mini Goats. This is... This is... So outrageously incestuous. And there we have it. Well, that's all the edict for now. As usual, there's stuff on the podcast web page and uh, you can contribute to this podcast's well-being, my well-being by going to stillgarian.com slash tip and pouring in some money. But also look for that possible campaign uh, starting tonight uh, to take me to Adelaide. Uh, until then, I'm Stillgarian. Have a good one. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.